the body is infinitely, beautifully, perfectly designed. And if something's wrong, it's trying to correct itself constantly. Welcome to Scrubs and Squats, the podcast where we discuss health and health policy so that you're better prepared to make the decisions that will give you more power over your business, your career, and your life. I'm your host, Tiffany Ryder, professional athlete turned emergency medicine physician associate, health consultant, and benefit strategist. I have nothing to sell you and just ask that if you like what we're doing here, you review this episode and subscribe. Real quick, before we get started, I have to remind you that although I'm a licensed healthcare professional, my ramblings here are just opinions and information and should never be taken as medical advice or as the official views of any affiliated organizations. I believe that primary care providers are the real superheroes and you should check with yours for personalized guidance. All right, on to today's episode. I'm so glad that you could join us. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what you're doing and how we came to know each other? Yeah. So we connected through LinkedIn because you are all about burnout. And I actually (laughs) work specifically with women dealing with burnout because I was burnt out. So I have reimagined myself in the last six years since burning out in my corporate job. And, you know, I had a bunch of things that were going on. It was anxiety, IBS, insomnia, unexplained infertility, eczema, migraines, like there was a whole gamut of things that were going wrong and I couldn't figure it out and neither could any of my medical professionals. And their only solution was, well, take this pill and then get back out to work. And by the end of 2015, early 2016, I'd had a couple of Damascus moments. One, I broke my ankle. That's a big telling sign. Like when you break bones really easily, this is something that you need to pay attention to, particularly when you're in your thirties, right? So that was one of my big kind of wake up calls. And I was grounded. Like you can't really move around on a broken ankle, although I tried. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) And during that time, that was when I realized like I need to rethink the way that I'm living because I'm at this point where, you know, sort of like mid thirties and thinking, is this really all that there is for me? Like me scrambling to get into work, to commute to climb some illusionary corporate ladder, to become a director. And, you know, at the time I was an assistant vice president and the whole goal of everybody was like, become a managing director and you've got another year. And it was extremely stressful. And, you know, you kind of schedule yourself in meetings that are back to back to back to back to back. And then you're ending up working late because all the meetings have generated work that you have to sit back and you got to stay behind and get it all done. So you're like, yeah. okay, you know, you're there from 7.30, 8am and then you're going through till 7pm, 8pm and getting home super late. And I realized like my life was literally passing me by. I was canceling a lot of social engagements with mm-hmm. friends because I just didn't have the energy to do anything. And I would spend an entire day, not necessarily sleeping, but recovering. Like I'd take a whole day on my weekend to just be isolated and just not being social and not doing all the things that a young person should be doing. Right. So I had to change and I had to quiet that voice in my head that was saying like, you're going to be stuck like this forever. I had to silence that voice and find another way. And that's how I ended up discovering functional medicine. I wasn't satisfied with the, um, the diagnoses of everything looks normal. It must be in your head. I refuse to accept that because I'm like, I'm trained in psychology. I've trained as a cognitive behavioral hypnotherapist. Uh, I run a corporate well-being program. 
you know, if anyone's good on mindset, it's me. So I'm not imagining like that my stomach hurts or that I've got terrible cramps or that my head hurts. Like I'm not, it's not psychosomatic. So I knew it had to be something else. And that's when I started learning about the importance of our nutrition and what goes on in our gut and how that impacts our brain. So I started understanding more about that gut brain connection. I probably spent about 15,000 to $20,000 over the course of seven years, looking into different modalities on how I could heal my body and get my life back, get my energy back because I was literally flatlining. So yeah, that's the the origin story of me kind of like waking up to the fact that there had to be a better way and that the conventional routes that I had been taking, they weren't really serving me. And I retrained in functional medicine because within one month of me being on a protocol, I felt like a completely different person. All my gut issues had completely settled down. I wasn't in debilitating pain. My skin cleared up almost immediately, like within two weeks, it cleared up. So all the eczema and all the scaliness and all that stuff just kind of disappeared. Like my periods, yeah, I used to go from being like on 1600 milligrams of Motrin every month Mm. to like, not even noticing that they were there. Like I had no more cramps, no more pain, the heaviness, the the sort of like clotting and all that stuff, it kind of evaporated as well. So like within one month, like my life yeah. changed after seven years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. So yeah. I don't know if you heard my podcast with Robin Engelson, but she's a huge proponent of functional medicine. We didn't get into it in that episode, and I regret not having done so, but I would love for anyone who is hearing this and is now hearing it for the second time that functional medicine can be life-changing. Well, what the heck even is functional medicine? (laughs) What do people mean when they say that? If you could just speak to that. Yeah, I would love to, because this is my mission right now to educate people on the fact that there is another way outside of take this for that, take this Mm -hmm. pill for this symptom. So with functional medicine, what we're looking at is, well, why have you got that symptom in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. So someone has asked me like in the past, like, well, what can functional medicine help with? I'm like, what can't it help with, right? Yeah. Because instead of chasing symptoms, which is unfortunately what you do in, in conventional medicine and looking at like, well, I want to match it to this code. And, and unfortunately, that's the way that it's set up because you're, you know, you're billing insurance and all that kind of stuff. Functional medicine is literally doing a deep dive into the person. It's not looking at the illness. It's looking at the person and all the multifaceted layers of what makes up that person, the way that they're eating, the way that they're sleeping, the way that they're, what they're drinking, what kind of water they're drinking, a family history, and not just family diseases, but like also the way that they grew up. Like, was it a warm, loving, nurturing relationship? Or was it an oppressive, suppressive environment where you had to keep silent? The body is infinitely, beautifully, perfectly designed. And if something's wrong, it's trying to correct itself constantly. So if you come at it from that perspective, you'd start looking at your symptoms actually as a gift because they are cluing you in to what's going on, that there's something that needs your attention. So rather than turning off the fire alarm, which is what we do with medication, You look for where the fire is and you want to put out the fire. So unfortunately, you know, the way that we've been trained in in the West is to like, oh, you have pain. Let's turn off the pain. We're like, but the pain is a sensor. It's like that check engine light on your dashboard in Mm -hmm. a car. Like pay attention. 
let's go examine and figure out what's going on there. So with functional medicine, we run a gamut of different labs. We look at saliva, we look at urine, we look at hair, we look at stool, we look at all these different things to understand where in the body's like detoxification pathways, hormone pathways, immune system pathways, uh, digestive pathway, energy production, nervous system. We call it hidden hormones, immune system, digestion, detoxification, energy production, and nervous system. Where in these hidden systems are there stressors and what's causing the stressors? So if your gut is damaged due to previous trauma, due to food sensitivities, Due to overuse of certain medications, you know, anti-steroidal inflammatory drugs, contraceptives, some of the other things, antibiotics, that was my story. <laughs> like I'd been on sure. yeah, several courses sure. of antibiotics that basically wipe out all your good gut bacteria. And then that creates this environment that's, you know, that's hospitable to unhealthy opportunistic bacteria. So your good bugs get wiped out, then you're not producing the bugs that you need. So my whole mission is getting everyone to wake up to the fact that there's so much that they can do in their day-to-day life, like just starting with clean water, clean air, minimizing use of medications. And I have nothing against it if it's used the way that it's supposed to be used responsibly and short term. The thing I have a problem with is when doctors say like, oh, you can just take, you know, like, let's say omeprazole for the rest of your life or Lexapro. Um, you know, how many people I've seen come to me and just like, I might say, well, how long are you meant to be taking this for? Like, well, I don't know, for as long as I need to. I'm like, well, how long is that? I've been already on it for like four years. You're like, what? Like, yeah. these yeah. are intended for six months at, you know, max, like certain psychopharmaceuticals. Yeah. They're meant to be used for about six months at a time, not to be forever. And you're supposed to be treated during that time to figure out, well, why have I got the anxiety? Why am I depressed? How sure. do I fix that? Right. So sure. the functional medicine ways, we spend a lot of time with an individual, you know, your typical doctor's appointment is 10 minutes. And for me, like I work with people over 90 days and sometimes up to six months. I, and in mm-hmm. the past, I've worked with people for up to a year as mm-hmm. well. Now I always say that if I'm working with someone for longer than a year, that I'm clearly not doing my job. Right. So yeah. I don't have anyone dependent on me. One of the reasons why I chose cognitive behavioral therapy to practice, because I realized mm-hmm. like, the other modes of counseling and uh, psychoanalysis and a psychotherapy, they kind of keep you dependent on the therapist and they're not particularly empowering. And CBT for me was extremely mm-hmm. empowering and it helps you really understand like, well, where are my automatic negative thoughts coming from? And like being able to stop them and then substitute them and reframe mm-hmm. and do all these cool things that literally give the client power back rather than being stuck and disempowered with a label. So mm-hmm. I like moving away from labels. I like moving away from diagnosis diagnoses because like your diagnosis to me is not important. It is completely unimportant. So you're not in your head. I like I'm nodding because it's it's an interesting thought. So you know my personal experience is I don't know if it's so much about the diagnosis as it is about what's next. So for me, I have ADHD, which some of you know I talk about it openly. And for me, that diagnosis was actually empowering, but it was empowering because it sort of put this label on, you know, here are the behaviors that you're exhibiting. Here are maybe some issues that come from that. But also, here are some things that you can do differently to then take power over that, right? Like it came with a little package of ways to cope and deal and things to capitalize on. But I think that often what happens is we get a diagnosis, um, which I've also 
had diagnoses that didn't come with happy thoughts. Like Mm -hmm. I was diagnosed with prediabetes at some point. And the answer was, well, here's some metformin. You can just take this for the rest of your life until you progress to diabetes. And then we'll give you more medicine, right? And that was legitimately the conversation that was had between little baby Tiffany and my doctor. And, you know, I look back on that moment and I think, oh my goodness, was that not the way that I would approach a patient with the same thing? So, you know, it's funny because I can see how that can go either way based on really the mode and the method for how a practitioner guides that patient through whatever that diagnosis is or whatever problems it is that they're having. Yeah. So I just want to caveat what you said about the, um, you know, the diagnosis is not important. I think what I want to be clear on is that it is important to know what we're dealing with, but more importantly is like, well, why? Like, how did you live yourself into this situation? And ADHD or ADD, there are genes for it, but there's also situational environmental factors that are part of it. Now I've actually got the genes for anxiety, for ADD. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm a slow, what you call a slow um, methylator. Certain vitamins are very, so you can do all this sort of stuff with functional medicine as well. You can find out like, well, what am I predisposed? to because I wanted to know my grandfather had dementia I wanted to know like why did he end up with this like is this going to be my life and I could tell you straight up like he he had had anxiety for 20 years generalized anxiety disorder and back in the day like it was in the 70s and 80s they didn't really ever send men to go to therapy so he had a nephew who was a doctor who just gave him medication he was on on Valium for about 25 years and that's why I have like such a big bugbear about like physicians just prescribing willy-nilly to people Valium for 20 years 20 yeah exactly and what that does and that's why I studied psychopharmacology and I went to university to study psychology I was like well how can you deal with anxiety in natural ways because people cannot be on drugs for 25 years now my perspective is like, okay, we we can figure out somebody has ADHD or they've got anxiety and there are lifestyle things, yeah. lifestyle factors that play a part in that and lifestyle solutions that can play a part yes. in that. Things like grounding, getting off devices. Devices definitely are not helping ADHD because we have cultural ADHD as a result of being on our phones and our tablets. So there's certain things that you can do yep. straight away like to minimize the distraction and that lack of focus yeah. that can come as a result of being that way. And you've obviously learned a few of those behavioral tips, yes. right? Then and I like- think that's why it was so powerful for me, right? Is because that was my first go-to because I was an adult when I was diagnosed mm-hmm. and I had already had this experience, this metformin experience that taught me that, um, you know, there were lifestyle changes that could be really influential. And I think that was probably the biggest advantage for me is when I got the diagnosis, I was able to say, oh, I can forgive myself for, you know, not feeling good when I don't have structure in my life. And I can prioritize myself in creating that structure and turning off my notifications and making, you know, those lifestyle choices because then it was almost like I needed an excuse to do it. And then I had the excuse to prioritize myself. I'm not saying that's what everyone should need, but I think at that point in my life, I really needed that diagnosis to sort of shove me you know, forward and say, you've got to prioritize your life if you want to be successful and, and make those changes. 
you know, that was your Damascus moment. That was your yeah. wake call, right? And and what I'm trying to do is to get people to realize like, hey, spot these signs and symptoms and you don't yeah. need to wait until you end up at a doctor's office and on meds or needing surgery or whatever it is. Sure. I want Before you fall into the river, I want to catch you on the riverbank before you're yeah. to throw you a life raft to bail you up because it takes longer. You know, like yeah. it, it takes a lot longer to get your life back, to get your energy back. If you have ended up in a crisis state, one of the first things you can look out for is how do you feel after you eat, right? If within the first two hours after eating, you feel like you need a snack, you need sugar, you need a chocolate or a fruit or whatever, that's a sign that your blood sugar is dysregulated. Now, blood sugar regulation is at the heart of pretty much every single illness, right? Even dementia and Alzheimer's. I would agree with that. Right? Yeah. Even dementia. Oh, there's studies behind it. So there's so much they call uh, they call Alzheimer's type three diabetes. So even that anxiety, depression, yep. blood sugar dysregulation, all very, very closely linked. PCOS, women's infertility, yep. blood sugar regulation, metabolic dysfunction. So mm-hmm. if we can get your blood sugar stabilized then you'll be in a really, really good place. So if you are feeling like, oh my God, I need a sweet, I need a snack, I need a coffee, I need something, mm-hmm. I'm really tired. Something you're eating is not agreeing with you. Could it be a sensitivity? Could it be that you have waited too long between meals? Could it be that you don't have the right balance of protein, fat, and carbohydrates? Because very often yep. we eat too many carbs. We don't eat enough good fat and we're kind of skimping on the protein and we're not eating good quality protein either. Sure. So what I was sure. saying about like a diagnosis, like, you could have ADHD, but your version of ADHD might be totally different to my version. So why should we be treated in the exact same way? Like mine might be an endogenous version of it. So that's mm-hmm. within my DNA. Mm-hmm. And then it could be like this cultural ADHD, which is all about the phones and all those other things and things sure. going on around you. So we have to pay attention to why do we have mm-hmm. these symptoms in the first place? So your blood sugar might be dysregulated for lots of reasons, or you might be lacking in energy for lots of reasons. It could be blood sugar, it could be a food sensitivity, or it could be you don't have the right balance of macros on your plate, right? Sure. Or, or it could be that you stayed up late the night before and you yeah. don't have any energy. Or it could be your thyroid. But sure. all of that is linked, right? So the thyroid is very responsive to everything else that's going on. So, you know, I always talk about hormones as being the, the four legs of a stool mm-hmm. and you've got your adrenal hormones. So that's like your stress ones. Um, you've got your sex hormones, your estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. Mm-hmm. Then you have got your um, thyroid hormones and mm-hmm. then you've got metabolic hormones. So like leptin and ghrelin. So mm-hmm. if, if one of the legs is like wonky, not stable, what's going to happen to the rest of the stool? It's not going to be stable either. So Mm -hmm. if you're looking at the thyroid, you can't only focus on the thyroid. You have to look at how everything else is working in synergy with it or not, right? Because if the thyroid's out or if it's showing up that it's out, and that's actually probably one of the easiest warning bells to look at. I'll be like, well, let's talk about your blood sugar. Let's talk about your sex hormones. Let's talk about the stress that you're under. Yeah. And I think something that, you know, people may or may not understand, you know, depending on what training they've had and where they're coming from is these hormones aren't all created equal. There mm-hmm. are interplays between them, but also there's a cascade, right? And cortisol is higher on the list, right? It's like at the top of the pyramid. So if your cortisol is not where it needs to be, then the, you know, the cascade of your sex hormones, your estrogen, your progesterone can be affected by that. Your thyroid cannot be making thyroid hormone or converting it in the way that it's supposed to, because that is also dependent on your cortisol. So there are a lot of interactions and we know that to be the case. It is indisputable science, Mm -hmm. but I think that the art 
of how to go about fixing that is truly an art, right? If someone's cortisol is off, there are so many ways that we could approach that. I could give you hydrocortisone. I could send you to Maui for a week. I think functional medicine is really the branch of medicine that's overhead and looking at medicine in a different way and is saying, maybe we understand these pieces. We don't understand exactly how everything works because no one does. But here are the things that we can try that have very little risks associated with them. And here are the things that we could try that have very large risks. Yeah. And I think that's the piece that I really appreciate about functional medicine, right? If you are having low cortisol, I can fix that with some prednisone easy, but there is a risk associated with that, right? That's right. Yes. And I I love that people are talking about diet and exercise and psychotherapy and CBT, you know, all of these things in a holistic way, because I see those things as the low hanging fruit of, well, we can certainly improve your diet and then mm-hmm. see how much or what type of medicine we need or simultaneously working on those things to reduce the interventions that have more risks associated with them. I, I think you raise a really good point. If you want to start doing something today, the things that you can do is like get outside, get in nature, get sunlight regularly throughout the day, 15 to 20 minutes, couple times a day, first thing in the morning as you wake It helps reset your circadian rhythms. It helps you sleep well so you recover better at night. Go to bed at a good time. If you find it hard to go to bed at a good time, give me a call. I can give you a hypnotherapy track. (laughs) You know, we can work on something to help you sleep better. Look at magnesium, including some supplements, some Epsom salts. Think very simple, cheap things like an Epsom salt foot stove. We're meant to experience stress from an evolutionary perspective. Our stressors then were like running from our saber tooth tigers. Now our stressors are getting a crappy email from a boss or getting a crappy email from a spouse or a text yeah, or something yeah. from a child or whatever. Uh, but our body doesn't know the difference between the crappy email and the saber tooth tiger. And it doesn't know the difference between a notification from your on your phone and a saber-toothed tiger, it's still producing that exact same stress response all the time. So each time you get a ping and you're thrown into hypervigilance mode, you start pumping out cortisol. And what happens if you think about elasticity and being resilient, we're supposed to be able to be stretched and then spring back into shape. Our periods of recovery are meant to allow us to yes. spring back yes. into shape so we can maintain elasticity. Now, when we experience constant notifications, constant pains, stress at work, stress with husbands, stress in traffic, sitting all day is a stress, digestive disturbance, eating foods that are not good for us. These are all things that are ramping up and just like cortisol overload, adrenaline overload, and putting us into this place where we've become ultimately depleted physically. So, you know, I remember someone on your show I think one of your first guests said that burnout is an emotional state. I'm like, it actually has a physical component to it as well. Because when you start pumping out all of this cortisol and then all this adrenaline, because when you use up all the cortisol, you start pumping into using up adrenaline. And right then is when you're in trouble. Yep. Because that's when all your sex hormones, all your other thyroid hormones, all those things start to slow down completely and become depleted. And I can see that on my labs when I run them with people on the saliva test. We see what's going on with the cortisol, with the DHEA, with the testosterone, with the sex hormones, the estrogen and progesterone. We see, and you can see really clearly, like you're living in a way that's making you 
very depleted, something that you're not doing enough of or that you're doing too much of. So yeah, I, I couldn't agree with that more. So, yeah. so I come from the health and fitness world. I got my undergrad in exercise science and spent a lot of time also in occupational wellness. But one of the things that I really like to talk about is this whole idea of, like you said, the rubber band, it's meant to be stretched and then it's meant to go back to its normal shape. I feel like we have this issue with cortisol where when cortisol is being pumped out all the time, the body's response to that is an elevation in blood sugar. So Mm -hmm. then your blood sugar is elevated all the time. And then your body's response to that is to be pumping out insulin all the time. We're not Mm -hmm. moving enough, right? So we're not, we're not doing the things that encourage our bodies and our muscles to be insulin sensitive. And then our body's like, I don't care. I don't care about your insulin. I'm not interested. You know, I'm in survival mode. I'm in survival. Yeah. And this is exactly how the progression to, you know, type two diabetes happens. The less insulin sensitive we are, then your body's unable to, you know, respond appropriately. And I think that is sort of the key that allowed me to open my mind to mindset work. So I'm very much on the Western medicine side, but I don't think that I know everything. And I don't think that anybody knows everything. And so for that reason, I've seen people do mindset work and I've seen them have a physical response that's positive. Mm-hmm. But for a long time, it was difficult to really connect the dots. Like my brain said, yes, but I believe in all the science that I've learned. And I want to know, how does that make sense? Like, can I at least come up with some hypothesis for why it makes sense? And for me, the piece of when I have this trigger and I feel stress. Mm-hmm. then my cortisol does this thing and leads to all of these other consequences. Mm-hmm. That was the piece for me. And so, you know, when I think about mindset work, I feel like anything that changes your perception of how stressful your normal life is mm-hmm. and brings that down stops that cascade, right? So it's not about whether your boss sent you the nasty email. It's about how you perceive the nasty email and how you're able to manage it. And I'm not saying that any of us know how to just put up with stressful situations all the time and and manage it beautifully. But I think there's a balance. Like some of it is turning your phone off, but some of it is also learning to restructure and reshape the way that you interpret different situations and make them less stressful. And I know that I can't do that on my own. And that's something that I found a lot of benefit in working with coaches and other people who show me how to reframe that and give me the structure in which to do that. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point and a great plug for coaching because that's where you can work with someone who can show you like, well, why do you have this thought about this to begin with? Right. Where does this come from? Is this from an overbearing parent, someone who is very hard on you, all this perfection. And usually the people who are prone to burnout, they are type A's and they're extremely perfectionistic. Yep. I see that with women. It translates not just from childhood, but it translates into relationships. It translates into working relationships as well. Yeah. And they don't have good boundaries generally, right? Mm -hmm. 
And boundaries is a big part of burnout, like a huge, huge piece. They don't know when to say, okay, now is my moment to like really restore myself. And we're talking about that elasticity and the rubber band and, you know, being able to advocate for yourself and being able to say, no, this doesn't work for me. This does not meet my needs. Or even in a relationship, like, you know, someone's railroading you or just there's always their way and not your way. And you're like, wait a second, am I being heard? Are my needs being met? It's very important in order for us to maintain elasticity, to have that presence of mind. And that's where the mindset piece is so important to understand, like, how are you tending to your needs? How are you looking after yourself? How do you advocate for yourself? And is what you're doing, is it fulfilling? Is it uplifting? Is it lighting you up? Is it giving you energy? And then looking at certain situations, like, am I actually being attacked or is that just my perception of being attacked? Exactly. And it really brings full circle to what you started with, right? Like Mm -hmm. saying like, what are these red flag symptoms? Because if we can recognize when we're getting in that place, like, am I being attacked or is this real? How am I responding to my environment? How am I processing my environment? What cues am I getting in my body that are saying that this is something I need to analyze or assess? Then I think we're in a place to, like you mentioned earlier, really address impending burnout, impending depression before Mm -hmm. it actually takes over our lives. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, being mindful of all the facets of these things is going to be a key to it. You know, and like if I, if after my mother died, I wasn't depressed, there'd be something wrong with me. Right. Sure. They're, they're literally be, a normal these, response. Exactly. These are not, and sometimes and there's, there's a meme that floats around out there and I don't know if I can curse on your show, but yeah, it sounds like, you know, before you go and like self-diagnosis, you're being depressed, just make sure you're not surrounded by assholes. Right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. If you're surrounded by people who make you feel crappy, then it might not, you might not be depressed. It might just be like, you need to change up your environment. Like maybe you need to find better friends or, uh, you know, maybe disown your family or whatever. You probably can't (laughs) disown your family. But I do hear about people saying like, you know, my mother was super toxic. I don't talk to her anymore. And I'm kind of like, okay, if you don't feel like you need that person in your life because they have been such a source of distress for you, then for sure, keep them at arm's length, keep them far away. Because it's a valid you don't need point. to, yeah, you don't. And need I think to it's be cool. You, you've got this, you know, this classic psychology, you know, classically trained background. It's probably a little easier for you than it is for the rest of us to sort of tease that out. Um, but I think that's really unique. As you and I have had conversations, I think that it colors a lot of the way that you're able to interpret the world. And I think functional medicine practitioners in general seem to sort of straddle the line between this is the classic training and this is what I know to be true. Mm-hmm. But also I see those things over there and they make sense that they, you know, those interventions could be helpful and here's why. And I think it puts you in a unique situation to solve problems in a different way that maybe other people aren't solving them. I'm glad you said that because that's what I feel is, you know, my superpower being okay. able to sort of look at things through a lens where it's like, it's not the traditional, we're only going to stick with this emotional trauma and be, and I kind of get stuck there because I do, I do have a problem with like, if you keep picking at a wound, how are you going to heal it? So one of the things that I love hearing you talk about is this concept of slow down to speed up, doing less to get more done. How do you implement that in your life? 
Yeah, great question. I've seen that when we have that kind of ADHD brain and we're trying to do 15 things at once, it doesn't actually work because you don't finish or complete anything. Or if you do, you go back and look at it two days later and you're like, oh my God, there's so many errors in it. And there's research to support that as well, right? So that's not just my experiment of N equals one. That's also, there's a ton of research. If you're doing multiple things, so multitasking, no bueno. So the idea is that you want to do one thing at a time. So you make sure that it's uninterrupted time and you sit and you get that one thing done. You close off all the stuff on your screen. You turn your phone over, you put it in do not disturb mode, and then you sit down, you time lock and you get that one thing done. And you start working through your list that way. The idea is that you don't spend all day in meetings and then you've got to spend four hours catching up on all the things that need to get done. You start to structure your day and it's about being really disciplined and really respecting your own boundaries and making sure that other people respect them. And when you're in a state of flow, you can get much more done. Your level of performance and excellence actually improves. So when you're doing tons of things and you're kind of having to concept shift between like, oh, I've got to do a meeting with a client. Then I got to do a podcast. Then I got to do a presentation for a corporate client. If you're concept shifting all day, you're not getting a lot of things done very well. So the way that I figured it out was when I started my business and I realized like, hey, I'm trying to do all the things and wear all the hats but I'm not necessarily being really good at any of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think (laughs) a lot of us feel that way. So I know that you work with people who are still living the corporate life. I know you work with entrepreneurs. How do you work with people? What does that normally look like if someone reaches out to you and is like, you know, there's just, I just don't feel as good as I used to feel. Yeah. So we would want to know why there's a big intake process that takes place at the start. There's like a six week minimum that we would work mm-hmm. on, but a lot can happen during that time. Now, if you've got other stuff going on, stuff with your skin, stuff with your hormones, you don't have a ton of energy. That's where the labs are handy. And that's like a 90 day period. Like we start off with the labs and then we create your protocol based off of the findings of the labs. So we will fine tune your diet, your rest, your exercise, your stress reduction and your supplements. So we call it dressing for health success. You're going to dress for success, right? So we explore all those hidden stressors and then we come up with a plan and then help you execute the plan to perfection. So that's a minimum of 90 days. And then there's also an immersion retreat where you can come out to me in California. Okay. Yeah, you can actually physically sit with me for two days and we can come up with your plan and we go for hikes. I get people to start letting go of things and we meditate, we do breath work, we do all the cool things. We're out in nature. You want to come and have a reset out in the beautiful mountains of Southern California. You can do that. That's awesome. And then do you partner with a functional medicine doctor? What do you do when someone needs medication? We'll just refer out if somebody needs medicine. Usually what happens though, I'll tell you quite honestly, people come to us already working with a doctor. Okay. We just collaborate with their provider. Oh, that's perfect. So it just keeps it super simple. Yeah. Um, But I'd refer out if I felt like, oh, you need to see someone. Oh, well, I've just had so much fun talking with you. And I just really appreciate you coming on and being willing to share your experience and what you do with clients and just educate us a little bit more on the functional medicine perspective. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And I hope you guys have learned. If you want to stay in touch, yeah, just 
find me on Instagram. I'm gutsy executive coach, all one word, gutsy executive coach. And you can go to gutsyexecutivecoach.com. I actually have something for your listeners if they're interested. Do you? Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I would love to share, like if they wanted to know more about like the pathway of working with someone like a functional medicine provider and all the different, like the different steps that it takes yeah. in order to like reverse a, a, a chronic health condition. I've got something called the CEO path because I'm all about becoming the CEO of your health. Yeah. So it's yeah. just go to my website, gutsyexecutivecoach.com forward slash download dash pathway. And I'll give you the link and you can I share was gonna it. I going to say, we'll notes. put it in the show notes, show notes. no problem. And all uh, right. I know that I found you on LinkedIn and YouTube. And so we'll put all of that in, but I just really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so much. And yeah, speak soon. All right, that is it for today's episode of Scrubs and Squats. I hope you enjoyed. And if you did, please like, review, and subscribe. And we will see you next week.